Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel and this is One on One, Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Sharon Gelper-Grossman, MD, MPH, is a radiation oncologist and formal faculty member of Harvard Medical School, where she also obtained a master's in public health. She is a graduate of Matan's Marotha Halacha program for women's advanced halachic learning at Matana Sharon. She writes and lectures on health and halacha and teaches for Matan, Machon Pua, and the Eden Center, where she's a director of community health programming. Sharon, I'm really, really excited to be here with you. This is also going to be a very different kind of episode than I've done until now. So I'm really grateful that you've, uh, that you've sat down with me today. I'm excited to be with you. I really, no matter what the topic of these conversations are, I really like to start off with the personal because whether we're writing or we're in the halachic world, or we're in the biblical world, or we're in the midrashic world, we all have come through interesting journeys. Um, I think women in particular, but but everybody. And so I really love if you just describe for us uh, to a certain degree, you can go back however far you'd like. Um, but you know, you have so many chapters uh, to a journey that's still continuing. And so I'd love to hear first on the the medicine and public health part. Uh, how did that come about? Was that something you always wanted to do? Take us back however far you'd like. Well, my father is a doctor and uh, we grew up with medicine in our family. And it was, I, I was very conflicted. Do I want to be a doctor? Because I didn't love the sciences in college. Uh, but I loved, I loved what a doctor does. And I could not think of something that was more meaningful to do. Uh, on the other hand, I loved history and literature. So actually in college, I majored in history and literature and took pre-med courses uh, as electives for the fun of it. Uh, and eventually chose to go to medical school and have never regretted that decision. And the, the public health part, when did that come in? I did a residency in radiation oncology. Actually, it started even earlier. When I was in college, I broke my foot and met an orthopedic surgeon uh, and asked him and told him I was interested in going to medical school and could he think of any, any research that I could get involved with. And he connected me with a rheumatologist, uh, a doctor who specializes in joints, who was studying um, the effects of poverty and race on lupus. For some reason, Black women, uh, women of color, did poorly with lupus. And he was investigating the sociological, the, the psychosocial uh, reasons for this. And it involved interviewing these women in their homes uh, and finding out if they had social support. And that kind of introduced me to this other aspect of medicine, which is uh, the bigger picture, the factors, the larger factors that infect disease, like support, like economic um, or financial situation, uh, get being able to get to the doctor. And so already the seeds were planted in my head that there was more to medicine than just taking care of patients and giving them a specific treatment, but seeing the larger picture. And then uh, I was very fortunate to be accepted for residency at Harvard Joint Center for Radiation Therapy. My area of interest was radiation oncology, using radiation to treat cancer. And built into that residency program was uh, a master's in public health. You take the year and you squeeze in two years into one. And you end up with a master's in public health. And so that is what I did. And eventually when I became an attending um, in, at, at the department in Boston at Harvard, I, my 
treatment area was breast cancer. That was my area of expertise, but I was also interested in quality of life issues uh, using the tools that I had gotten in the school of public health. Was that part of uh, a broader ideology of the school, meaning we don't want to just create doctors, but we want to create people who impact change? Or does that, is that too grandiose, you think, for what they had in mind? I'm just always curious about, as someone who didn't go to medical school, so that, that nexus is, is fascinating, though, meaning where, where the how to get treatment to people versus you know, when you're actually treating them. Just curious if that was part of the ideology of, uh, that, they, that they thought so much to include it in your degree or in your training. I think that um, many people during, took that year as a research year and worked in a laboratory. And those were the PhDs in our department. And our department really did value uh, all aspects of medicine, not just the laboratory. And yes, it was very forward thinking to recognize the Masters of Public Health as integral to, to treatment. And I think that reflects a larger philosophy at Harvard. This program was, was available Mm -hmm. at Harvard for, you know, lots of residents like me, uh, and physicians. You know, we've, we've invited you onto, onto this episode today because we're in a series on, on women in writing. And so I already want to sort of jump into this other part, which is obviously a, uh, a tremendous uh, offshoot or a result of the, of the public health piece, uh, which is the, the halachic writing. Uh, which we're going to get much deeper into. But before we get into the specifics of the writing that that you're engaged in, uh, I'm I'm also just curious to hear from the background piece where that came in. Meaning, where did the interest in combining the the medicine, the public health, and then the halacha? Where did that enter into your your story? Um, hmm. It's a it, it's it's a there are a lot of aspects to that answer. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't like a big bang moment, right? I'm sure there was different pieces. So, but. so uh, my husband's a physician, also, uh, and also very much interested in halacha and medicine. Uh, and even just that when we were dating, he already had started to gather a collection of sperm on the topic. And so he, over the years, has very often given shiurim on the topics. And, uh, and any question that comes up, we'll, we'll, you know, explore, we'll research. But for me, that moment, uh, that moment occurred, oh, I'd say seven years ago, uh, perhaps when a dear friend of mine, Sherry Mendez, who, uh, had been diagnosed with breast cancer and created an amuta for women with breast cancer called Lemonade Fund that raises money uh, to help women who are going through treatment, uh, women who lack the means to get through the treatment, to give them grants uh, and support them through the treatment. She was having a, a uh, fundraiser and she asked me to speak. And I was sure she was going to ask me to talk about mammograms and early detection. But in fact, she asked, asked me to talk about how Halacha approaches the, um, the surgeries that the actress Angelina Jolie had done to prevent breast cancer. As, as you may recall, Angelina Jolie uh, was diagnosed with, as a BRCA carrier and she underwent prophylactic mastectomy, removal of her breasts, as well as prophylactic oophorectomy, removal of her ovaries. And, and, the, and she made this all very public in articles, op-ed pieces written in the New York Times. And so Shari asked me to actually give a sheer on how Halacha approaches these surgeries. And I began to research the medicine. And then I turned to post scheme 
And then I looked at the halachic aspect and the potential halachic issues that that surgery might um, might uh, raise, and turned to Postgame to get their to, to to get their position on the issue, and eventually uh, published my first article in Halacha and Medicine, and that was the beginning of the process. I found the process of uh, taking the medicine and and um, and and figuring out where it fit in the halakhic context and then using that knowledge to try to inspire other women, to inform women, to inform the religious community was really very exhilarating to me. Who would you, we're going to, I'm holding myself back because I obviously want to go deeper on, on all those pieces. We're going to get there in a second. But before, before we leave this part, I, I also am curious whether it's in the last seven years or not, who, who would you say have been formative uh, Torah influences on you? So I'd have to go all the way back to Maimonides School. Uh, I grew up in Boston, and uh, I'm a graduate of Maimonides School. And I would have to start with Rabbi David Shapiro, who is my principal. Who, li- who lives here. Who lives here and who actually... And I know his kids. <laughs> and who actually has been to our smachot and listens to every single uh, one of my shiurim and reads my articles and cross-references and checks all of the sources to make sure they're correct. Uh, but he really took an interest in my, in my, uh, religious development, um, and, and, uh, introduced me to the world of halacha. Also, um, Rabbi Isaiah Walgamoth, who is a teacher at Maimonides school and Rabbi Walgamoth taught the Or Hatzvilah, uh, which was an integral part of our curriculum and his, and, and his teaching is with me. All the time, uh, his teaching inspires my tefillah. But more importantly, he was a he was a very important figure to me personally. Um, the summer after college, I came to Israel to learn at Provenders, and uh, he invited me for a Shabbos to his house in Harnof with his wife. And my family davened at the Boston Rebbe's in Boston. And the Boston Rebbe uh, invited us for lunch, and then. Invited me and uh, invited me for a private conversation to discuss my life, and I was very touched. But what did he ask me? The first question he asked me was, "So you're going to medical school? How are you going to have a family?" Which is truly the million dollar question. It is the question that we all struggle with. It is the question that 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 uh, there is no good answer to. But I was not prepared to hear that question and. And I left that meeting um, really uh, real devastated and not, not sure if it was the right thing for me to do. And Rabbi Walgamoth uh, and his wife sat with me over Shabbat and, and talked me through it uh, and got me to a place where it's going to be okay. So that's, those are the early years. I'd have to say my, uh, my husband clearly in his support and everything that I do, but also in his passion for Torah uh, and for halacha and for women's learning, and my father-in-law. My father-in-law is Rabbi Raphael Grossman, Zecher Tzadik Levracha, who was the the senior rabbi of the Baron Hirsch Synagogue in Memphis, Tennessee for 26 years, the head of the Beit Din of America, the head of the Rabbinical Council of America, who was a strong proponent of women's learning. Uh, he would often tell the story of how his mother, who uh, his mother, uh, secretly sat and learned shas, 
And nobody knew this until one day the, uh, the speaker who was coming to speak to the women of the community didn't show up. And she got up and started giving a shear. Uh, and it all came out. And Baruch Hashem, today, we don't need to sit and hide in the locked room to learn. Uh, we can learn in the open. Not only can we learn, we don't need to learn by ourselves. We have teachers. We have a Beit Midrash. Uh, so those are just a few. Those are just a few of the people. Those are a, f- a few and, and quite worthy. So you have both a, a strong lineage on the medicine side and a strong lineage on the on the rabbinic side. So that's uh, that's really phenomenal. jump into your your writing uh and you know there you write on a whole array of issues anyone can google you and and a, a lot of wonderful articles uh, come up and uh you write on on the brca testing which we're going to go deeper into and the prophylactic surgery the hpv vaccine uh you wrote a lot uh, during the covid period which i kind of want to say is behind us although as it currently stands today in a frat we have a new breakout um so um and uh, and and in the halachic implications of quarantining and e-cigarettes, and it's really this this whole this whole range of of issues. Uh, and and before we're going to go deeper I, on the BRCA piece, but I want to ask you about who your target audience is, and and I want to frame the question because you just told a story right now about uh, about Mrs. Mendez. Uh, and how she invited you into a room of people who, who she wanted them to hear about the halakhic ramifications or questions that might come up regarding prophylactic surgery. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious that when you write these articles, who, who do you look at as your target audience? And I'm going to say something like a little bit, um, perhaps revealing about myself. But, you know, when I was thinking about the vaccine, for example, which I had many hesitations about it, uh, from, uh, of, you know, my, place in life as being very naturally minded. I was vaccinated. I'm happy to say I was vaccinated, but I wasn't one of those people that put it on Facebook. Um, that's, I'm not sure that my go-to in those moments is asking whether or not it's halakhically permissible. Uh, I, I think about halacha when I am uh, in, in many, in almost every realm of my life, but in those specific moments uh, of these real, real life um medical moments, it's it's not my go-to. Now, that just may be reflective of, of Yosefa Fogel-Rubel and not the broader public. Uh, although I'm a pretty conscientious, conscientious halachic, uh, uh, halachic observer. So I'm curious, when you write these articles, who who is your target audience? And perhaps I'm just unaware that there are a lot of people out there who, before they engage in, in certainly a surgery that's going to alter their body, that maybe this is a, a question that is that is very, very significant for them. Uh, and maybe perhaps you're aiming towards a more Haredi audience, which is something I'd also like to hear about. So there are several layers uh, to who who my writing is targeted to. First of all, um, and, and this kind of gets into the whole process of what I what what I try to do with my writing. So I start by reviewing the medical literature and and really making sure that I have it right uh, and summarizing it. And then and then, uh, for example, BRCA, taking that information and presenting it 
either either looking to see what halacha has to say about it if something has been written, or taking that information uh, and bringing it to Postkim and asking, what do you think? You, you're saying that you actually have conversations. You go to Postkim on the phone or in their house and you have conversations with them. Absolutely. So so okay. first and foremost, so let's take BRCA, for example. You know what, Sharon, I just want for, I, I hope that everyone knows in the audience, but just in case someone isn't, that the BRCA is, you know, there's different uh, mutations that are responsible for a very high percentage of, of uh, breast cancer possibility in women. Uh, women of Ashkenazi descent are of a particularly high uh, high risk, and and being tested uh, in in many countries uh, is now very very available, and it could be very significant in your ability to plan further whether or not you would like to engage in these elective surgeries in order to l- m- dramatically diminish your chance of of actually getting sick with cancer. Correct. I'll just, I will just add to that, that the vast majority of breast cancers are due to environmental factors. Only 10% are due to genetic factors, but the ones that are due to genetic factors are primarily due to a BRCA mutation, which is present in one in 40 Ashkenazi women, 10 times higher than the general population. It's also present in certain very specific Sephardi populations, Sephardim Tohrim, and women inherit the mutation with the same frequency as men. In women, it in- significantly increases the risk of breast cancer and ovarian cancer. Why get tested? Well, if you if you test negative, you uh, know that you don't carry that specific mutation. You still need to do screening. You still need to do mammograms. You still need to keep in touch with new mutations that might develop, but you're negative. If you're positive, yes, you can take dramatic steps. Uh, you would begin intensive surveillance with mammograms and MRIs and ultrasounds of the pelvis and blood tests uh, that wouldn't be offered to you otherwise. And those can actually dramatically reduce your chances of dying. Uh, but the most dramatic step you can, one can take if one tests positive is to undergo prophylactic surgery, uh, removal of the breasts, removal of the ovaries, which can significantly, which really can dramatically increases your life, increase your life expectancy. So that's, that's just the background. It happened to be in the case of BRCA, I had written the article on Angelina jo- on prophylactic surgery and how halacha approaches it. And there was, there was stuff floating around in the halachic world, uh, talking about the issues regarding testing. And there, and, and really there were only two post game who had weighed in on the topic. Rabbi Tendler in 1997 in a personal communication, uh, strongly discouraged testing because he, uh, feared that it would cause mental anguish as well as negatively impact upon Shiduchim. And, uh, Rabbi Bleich who had come out, who come out strong in favor of testing, but that was it. And so I thought maybe there was more to explore here. And at that very same time that I was mulling over uh, writing on this topic, uh, a world expert in halacha and medicine reached out to me and asked me to summarize the medical literature uh, for, for his encyclopedia and refuah and halacha. And I, I wrote it and, uh, and, and very carefully reviewed the literature. And then turned to him and said, what are your thoughts? And he favored it. He strongly uh, encouraged Ashkenazi women. Oh, that's the other piece that we didn't mention before, which is that initially testing was only recommended for women with Ashkenazi women with a family history. Uh, And then three very large studies 
showed that if we just limit it to women who have a family history, we'll miss more than 50% of women who carry the mutation. Family history is not a good marker for a variety of reasons. And so there was a movement in the, um, in, in the medical world to, for, for testing all Ashkenazi women, regardless of family history, and now even testing all Ashkenazi men. And uh, so uh, I first gleaned, uh, ascertain, yeah, asked the Rav what's his, what's his opinion. And he actually, uh, he has more of a connection to the Haredi world. He, he has turned on my behalf to uh, more Haredi postgame to ascertain their opinion, their people, Rabbanim, that I could never, that I could never approach as a woman. Uh, and so he interceded on my behalf. And then I proceeded to ask, uh, personally approach various Rabbanim in the um, Datilu Mi world, some more to the right, some more to the left, again, presenting them all of the relevant medical information, and then asking them, what are your thoughts? Uh, and then at some point, I had the courage to approach uh, Rabbi Tendler, who again for 22 years was quoted and requoted as uh, saying that BRCA testing was a tyranny of knowledge, and so I summarized the relevant information for him and asked him what his opinion was. And should, should is it is it usher for women to undergo BRCA testing? And his answer was to my surprise, that it was a chi of doraita, an absolute biblical requirement for all Jewish women, not just Ashkenazi women to undergo BRCA testing. I said, can anyone refuse testing? He said, no, no one, no one, no one should refuse testing. And after I heard that, I personally, I said, okay, I can't argue with that. I have to go get tested myself. And so I, I found a private testing company and, um, Google uh, filled out the information on the computer with just some demographic information on Motzei Shabbat. Sunday morning, the nur- uh, nurse called me. Monday, another nurse came to my house to draw my blood. Monday afternoon, the courier took the blood to a lab and I got results six weeks later. And thank God I was negative. Uh, and, and, and so to get back to your question, who is my writing geared to? It's geared both to uh, people in the halachic world. Why? Not necessarily because uh, because uh, women w- want to know: is it mutar? Is it usher? But I think that it that the writing raises a certain level of awareness that there are uh, rabbis who will speak to their congregants from the pulpit about t- about testing. Um, there are rabbis who people come to, to consult with regarding testing. I, I can, I, I can remember there are many, many women who've told me, and I spoke to this rabbi and that rabbi to ask them, should I have the surgery? Should I have, should I have testing? Should I have the HPV vaccine? Uh, there's a, there, there's a lot of, um, uh, I, I, there, there's a certain segment of the popular, of the religious world that, uh, that believes that. HPV vaccination has uh, major halachic implications, um, but but even if you or uh, the general most women wouldn't necessarily go to the rav to ask about testing, it's another forum to educate. It's another forum to uh, to raise awareness, and so 
And so, yes, uh, the first goal is to educate people in the halachic world, people who want to know how halacha approaches this. And then the next layer is to bring it to the general public, uh, which I've done in my blogs, which I've done in uh, my shurim, which I've done through my outreach through the uh, Eden Center. And you did an, an event in Matan, right? Yes, yes. And, and ultimately, uh, really the culmination of all of this work was in uh, an evening we did at Matana Sharon for health and wellness in February 2020, just before COVID hit us, uh, where, where we kicked off the evening with Rabbi Shani Tarragon giving a uh, shiur on Benish Martem. And then I gave the medical and halakhic background behind BRCA testing. And then we actually invited the testing company into Matan, uh, where, where women and men underwent testing. More than 30 women, uh, were tested. And some, and some of those were also husbands who came because men can inherit the mutation as well. And we also had a dermatologist who did skin checks to look for skin cancer. So that, that event really was, um, was, uh, a union of taking the writing, taking the learning and using it to, to save lives, to, to prevent diseases. Just to add to that, um, uh, Yosefa, I've had the privilege of speaking about the HPV vaccine in a number of different forums to parents of eighth graders, to young adults, to college students, uh, and, to, and, and to go into schools. Uh, and one of the most rewarding emails I've received was from the principal of a very large uh, religious girls high school telling me that the vaccination rate in the school had um, increased dramatically after after the shiur. This was for HPV or for COVID? For HPV. Wow. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to add in on a personal note, uh, I guess today I'm being revealing, uh, which is that I have tremendous family history of breast cancer. Uh, my father also passed away of cancer, which they say isn't connected, but I find it hard to believe. Um, and, uh, and I also for the point of it, because I always recommended to women to get bracket testing. And I had been in, uh, I teach women and I had been also in lectures where they said really every woman should get tested. And I said the same thing, right? How can I recommend it if I haven't done it yet? So I took part in a study actually in Charitetic and I was tested uh, also negative, although it didn't really change much about my personal statistic, but um, but uh, the awareness piece is is a, is a really incredible one. And so I just want to highlight a few things you said, which is that part of the intention of your writing is that a it's there to inform halachic halachically abiding people, but also halachic authorities. Right, the the medical information can be there to uh, to inform them, and also I'm, I'm sure your halachic writing itself will be eye opening for for any audience. Uh, and also the awareness piece or that it's there, it's there in the world. It's not so different than a podcast also in that sense, meaning part of why we put out podcasts, put out content that let's say in this case, we believe in putting out women speaking about Torah and speaking about all different ideas, that that itself has an impact on the world, both by the fact, by the virtue of that people listen to it and are moved and also that it exists in the world. And that then when somebody wants to go and look up that topic, then you, you know, you write it in and you look it up or you put it in Google and, and there it is. It's right there. And there's a whole world that's waiting for you. And that I also believe that it impacts the world, even if someone doesn't actually ever come in contact with that particular article. No, I just wanted to add that um, you asked, you know, regarding your question regarding the target audience. Uh, ironically, 
I, I was very surprised that uh, my article on COVID, how Halacha approaches a COVID vaccine was actually extensively quoted by uh, authors from the Schechter Institute. So even the conservative movement has some interest in what I'm writing. Uh, and in terms of the Haredi, you know, pro- in speaking to the Haredi world and uh, would Haredi women be interested in what I'm saying? I found them to be, I found, I found the Haredi audience to be surprisingly receptive. I think there's a thirst for information and uh, maybe it's a little bit more palatable because I'm a doctor, but also I have to tailor what I'm saying to, to the audience. And so when I speak to a Haredi audience or a more right-wing audience, I am careful to emphasize the opinions of the post game that they respect. So there, there is some openness on both ends of the spectrum, both from the Schechter Institute to the Haredi world. That's really great to hear that there's there's impact on all sides of the spectrum. Um, and I just I want to ask you that that cultural piece about uh, being you know someone you know American trained physician and making Aliyah. Which how many years ago was that? I didn't ask you that. Uh, we're uh, very soon. We will be entering. Please God, our eighteenth year here. Eighteenth year. Shem. Uh, and, uh, and I'm curious also, and again, it a little bit touches on the target audience piece, uh, as you're, you're writing in English, you also have things that are, you know, translated into Hebrew that, um, I'm curious at wh- where do you, uh, w- the identity piece there, meaning your, your background is in one place, but you're trying to impact society. That's if you're writing in English, you're actually trying to impact people in different societies. Uh, and, and in public health, the cultural piece is a huge one. Uh, I mean, in different places, different things are normative. Uh, preventative care is something that I definitely grew up with an awareness of in the States more than I see in my experience in Israel. Uh, God forbid, not saying there isn't, there doesn't exist here, but that the educational piece, I find that physicians often don't see themselves as educators in the same way that I felt that physicians sometimes saw themselves as educators. I'm now, you know, speaking back way back when, when I would go to the doctor in America, which was over 20 years ago. So I'm speaking nothing about current realities. Um, so I'm just curious if you could speak to that cultural piece. Do you ever find yourself in a bind? Does it feel very comfortable? I actually see it as an advantage because I can look at, I can compare the two healthcare systems and really see the strengths and weaknesses. So for example, when we went through the first wave of COVID, the mortality in Israel was quite low. And my husband, who's an emergency medicine physician uh, and commutes back to his job in Boston, was experienced the worst of the worst there. Uh, and so I could see what we were doing right here and where, where, where the failures might be in the United States. And by the same token, when we went through our second wave and it was, uh, COVID was just rampant, you know, what could have been done differently? And then finally, when we got the vaccines and I got vaccinated before my 75-year-old mother, I could really see the strengths of socialized medicine and of a centralized medical system as well as an electronic system. Uh, and so I can appreciate, I can appreciate the strengths and weaknesses of each one. Okay. That's great. I think that's, that's probably, uh, probably ideal. Uh, I think sometimes also though, when we try and impact, you know, there are a bunch of, there are several issues that are close to my heart, uh, specifically in the medical, medical social field that I sometimes dream about, you know, making maybe an amuta, making an NGO and trying to, to work on them. And, uh, and you definitely have to be extremely aware. A, you have to have obviously someone who's inside the system and you need to, have to be extremely aware of the, um, of the players, of the way the system works in order to affect genuine change. So certainly by writing, that's going to impact change 
uh, to a certain degree, and, and eventually we hope that it also impacts policy. So that's a, that's a really important piece. just want to take a break and ask you where you did your more advanced halachic training, right? Did that happen in the past couple of years? You just explained to us a little bit about that. Yes. Yeah. So after the Angelina Jolie uh, Shior publication of the article, I realized that I wanted to, to, spe- to delve more deeply into the world of halacha and medicine. And I also realized that I needed more formal halachic training. And so I live in Renana. And I picked up the phone and called Rabbanit Osher Koren and I said, what can I do? And she said, she told me, it just happens to be that we are planning to open up a, a, a advanced halacha learning program for women at Matan HaSharon uh, in the fall. This was in late February, early March. And I couldn't believe the good fortune and, and the timing. My youngest child was about to start first grade. Uh, and so I joined and the Morot Lahalacha program uh, was just a, an absolute gift uh, from Hashem. It's, it is uh, an advanced halacha learning program that focused on uh, life cycle events. Uh, we learned Hilchot Nida, uh, the laws of Nida, Siman by Siman, uh, each section of the Shulchan Aruch, starting with uh, the relevant Gemaras, Rishonim, Shulchan Aruch, uh, and Achronim, and later Achronim, and and test. We were tested after each Siman. Uh, I took my sperm with me everywhere. I flew on an airplane with you know probably fifty bags of fifty pounds of carry-on sperm, uh, but I loved it. Uh, and then, at, and we were exposed to, we, we spent time with, um, uh, Rav Knoll and, uh, with Rav Ramon. Uh, we actually had the joy of sitting in his kitchen, in his dining room, where he poured coffee grounds onto, uh, Badika cloths and compared the colors of the coffee grounds to, um, to what we were seeing on the Badika cloths. And it was exhilarating. We also learned um, uh, Hilchot Avelut. We were tested in that as well. And um, and at the conclusion, we did had a uh, cumulative written exam as well as an oral exam, uh, where we sat one on one with uh, Rav Rimon, Rav Yitzchak Halevi, uh, Rav Shlomo Ishon, who's the uh, the Rav Hashkuna, the Rav of um, the eastern part of Renana. And they asked us halakhic questions in Hebrew, mind you, which was not my native tongue. And I have to say that of all my um, academic experiences, whether uh, they were including lecturing, you know, to thousands of people at a national meeting in uh, as a radiation oncologist in the United States, including uh, interacting with the leaders of, of my field in oncology. The greatest joy for me was sitting with Rev Ramon uh, and having and, and and doing my oral exam. That was just truly uplifting. And so, at the conclusion of the program, some of the women continued to learn uh, Hilchot Shabbat, which I did two years of Hilchot Shabbat, also uh, examinations, rabbinic equivalents, and now we're learning Isaver Hetzer, 
with exams, lots of exams. My children see me studying. So you, you've kept going. You're saying you haven't left. You've kept going. Kept going. Kept going. Yeah. Amazing. So I, I wanted to ask you um, if you've ever felt that, the, that your halachic knowledge actually enhanced the medical side, right? We've spoken up until now about, about the, the thriving relationship between them, but also specifically about starting from the medical and then, and then speaking about how it, uh, it bridges uh, with the halachic knowledge. And so I'm curious if you've ever felt that that movement happen in the opposite direction. That's a really good question. Um, I would have to say that the article that I wrote uh, about a year ago uh, about mental health and halacha, and uh, specifically uh, inspired by the devastating impact that COVID has had on mental health. Which I think we're only seeing the beginning of, but yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that, that, that the research that I did, the um, sources that I, that I looked at, and um, Halacha's perspective helped shape my understanding of mental illness. Because when you actually look at what Halacha has to say about mental illness, Halacha approaches mental illness the same way that it approaches physical illness. Uh, and, and just as, uh, and, and, with the same levels of gradation of um, and, and the fact that the halacha uh, approaches mental illness really the same way that it approaches physical illness illustrates to me, illustrated to me the gravity of mental illness uh, and that this is a very serious medical problem. Right. So you're saying in that way, you feel that the, the, uh, almost the acceptance or equivalence that halacha awards mental illness a little bit has uh, it's, it was premature to the acceptance that it has received in the broader world, meaning that, uh, or, or I think it's maybe perhaps could be a, a guiding light for the acceptance that it needs to receive. I think that in some societies, mental illness has received more respect than others. And when I say societies, I, I don't even mean, you know, Israel, America, I mean, even smaller divisions within those, those subcultures, that there are subcultures that, you know, still would look at a lot of mental health issues as something that is new age and get over it, right? Again, phrases that I could never imagine saying for already a very, very long time, but everybody is living in their own, in their own subcultures. I think that's a really, that's a really beautiful example. I'll also say that from the halakhic learning that I've done, that uh, mental illness factors into in a very large way, uh, you know, whether specific examples of family planning, that's already been written about for a long time. There's been chuvot about family planning and a woman's mental state already for many, many, many decades. I want to say more, but I don't want to, I don't know the exact date. Uh, and also in other, other realms, other realms of halacha that are particularly impactful on, I'm now just speaking about women's mental health. Um, there are definitely, while there may not be a tremendous amount written uh, because a lot of these issues are newer, Certainly in, in modern questions that come up, it's a tremendous factor that's taken into account. Um, so uh, that's a really, that's a really great example. I want to, I want to pivot uh, towards, you know, we're getting towards the latter part of our conversation already. And I know that sometimes women don't like this part, but I do want to ask you to be a little bit self-conscious about being a woman for a moment uh, and, and ask those some questions regarding that. I'm curious 
specifically because you're writing in the halachic world, uh, where you see your identity as a woman coming up, whether it could be uh, making creating obstacles or perhaps opening them up, maybe being a doctor can make up for you being a woman sometimes. Sorry that I said it that way, but I mean it that way. Um, so I'm just curious if you could speak to that uh, that identity piece um, in the world that you've been delving into in the past uh, past number of years. And maybe it was there earlier. So go back, take us back over far you'd like. So I grew up with a very strong message, uh, both from my, my parents, um, as well as from my community, that women women can learn. And there really isn't anything a woman can't learn, whether it's, uh, whether it's secular or whether it's Torah. And of course, when I went to college and I went to medical school, again, the same message, there, there is nothing you can't do or there's nothing you can't learn. I had women colleagues who became department heads, women colleagues who became heads of hospital. Uh, again, a father-in-law who was a, a very uh, prominent focus in, in our lives, who strongly advocated for women's learning and my husband as, as well. So thank God I had very positive messages in terms of women's learning and, um, and, and uh, what, what one can do with the learning. Uh, that said, it, there are most certainly uh, journals, halakhic journals, that I know I can't submit an article to. I look at the list of authors, and there are no women on, on the list of authors. Does that mean they won't accept what I have to write? I don't know. I could take a chance uh, and see. On the other hand, I've been blessed to have, uh, to have rabbinic figures, uh, people in the halachic world who have helped me, who have advocated on my behalf, who have made introductions for me, um, who have turned to post game when, when I, when I, when I can't do that directly. And I appreciate every effort that's made, uh, on my behalf to, to, to help me to help me move forward. Right. I think that's also a really good perspective piece, which is that one could take those moments where you need to use a man essentially to open up that door for you. Especially when you're speaking about getting to post game who wouldn't necessarily, wouldn't have an audience with you. Or else you could say, no, I'm just grateful that I can have someone help me and then I can continue doing the work I do, which I think is a, is a very, a very uh, healthy attitude. I, I do want to reflect on that for a moment, by the way, because the, the having that I'm, my kids aren't in a co-ed school. I only have girls, but my, and I don't, I'm not sad about it. Meaning it's not something I think about, but those early, um, they're really foundational uh, memories. They're really foundational, um, experiences to have, uh, and, and definitely give women who were in them and were in that co-ed experience and in the learning co-ed environment, I know from, you know, my previous life in the States before I moved to Israel that I had many peers who had that in their background. And uh, for those who went through those schools and went on to, you know, continue learning and be and be uh, from from young uh, adult women, it was really impactful for them. Uh, and you just come into the world with an with an assumption that you are worthy, equal um and it equals a bad word these days, but that you're worthy and that there, there isn't, it just, it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. I think that's probably even better. 
I am curious though, if the, you know, I'm always curious when I speak to women, you know, was there though ever a moment where you realize that it actually is a bit of a big deal? Uh, I think it might be different if it happens when you're already a little bit older and more established versus when you have like these little bit, these moments, as I know young women would have in their late teens or their twenties, when all of a sudden they would realize that the whole world doesn't actually, the whole religious world doesn't all function like the Maimonides school, uh, or, you know, and insert any other co-ed institution. So I'm not asking you to dig back if, if you, there's nothing there, but it's always a piece that I, I think that uh, looking at my daughter's education in Israel is very much a, um, a is very much one of those moments because if you just look at what what they could potentially get or not get from the basic education system here, it, it, it is lacking. Uh, but Baruch Hashem, we, there are so many opportunities for them to learn outside school. Uh, my daughters have discovered, uh, Rabbanit Miriam Reisler's program for, uh, for the high, for high school students. And that has been pivotal for, for them. Uh, really, I have one daughter whose participation in that program just uh, enhanced her Yurat Shamayim. She started to participate and suddenly instead of davening three times a day at, ho- at home, she's davening in a minion. Um, and, and so I am grateful for those opportunities. But when I look at what's here at the basic level, it, 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 does, it does make me sad. I do think though that there is so, there is so much to find uh, if, if one knows where to find it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's true. But the the base we've it's come up in a lot of episodes, in a number of episodes. The baseline education for women is still uh, underwhelming. I think would be the right word. Yes, I'm also interested because you mentioned your your daughter a moment ago, and it sounds from your story that you know we've had a general sense of it that there's been a bit of a shift, and also a shift in that you're learning Torah a, a lot of a lot of your throughout a lot of your day, uh, and I'm curious how you've seen these shifts. If if you've seen them impact your home in any in any particular way, I don't know the. I'm assuming your children age range from all different ages, right? We've spoken about this earlier, um, but uh, I'm just curious if you've seen any impact on your in and your immediate surrounding. So my children range in age from 29 to 10. We have Baruch Hashem eight children, uh, and I have to say that. Um, there's a lot of Torah discussion in our home. It's cool to learn Torah in our house. Uh, and that's, and I think that's an important message. Five of our children are daughters. Uh, so it's especially important that they have that message. Um, I think that my writing, uh, helps them, helps, helps them see that Torah is relevant. Halacha is relevant to their daily lives. So for example, when it was time to get vaccinated for COVID, uh, my kids knew very strongly that it is a mitzvah to vaccinate, that it is probably a chiv d'oraita, uh, and they had heard all the discussion about what tefillah to say, why say this tefillah, why say that tefillah, could they say, could they bench gomel? Um, and so, so halacha, I, I, I hope, becomes um, an integral part of our of our daily lives and our daily actions. Uh, in addition, I've had the schut to teach, uh, to be my daughter's kala teacher. 
Uh, and she comes to me with her Nita questions. Her friends come to me with Nita questions, which is very special. Uh, it's a schut. Um, and, uh, and I feel honored that, that she wants to talk to me, that her friends want to talk to me. Totally. That's a big deal. I, I, <laughs> I, I gave Anita a refresher course for her community uh, in Carme Gat which I do not take for granted. And so it's really, it's, it's enhanced our family uh, and enhanced, enhanced my relationships with my children. That's beautiful. Before we, we really close the conversation, I also wanted to ask you if there's any advice uh, that you would want to offer. I, you know what? I, I think young women, but that's just because of who I think is listening to this podcast, but I don't even mean young women. Um, but advice to someone who wants to have a multi-layered career. I don't know if you went, you started out thinking you were going to have such a multi-layered career. No, the, the, there's a, there's a head turning. Um, and, and so I'm just, I'm curious though, there are many, many young women who do already think about the multi-layeredness. And so I'm, I'm curious if you have any, if you have any advice. Wow. Um, I was by the book. You go to college to go to medical school, you go to medical school to become an intern, you go to become an intern, to become a resident, you become a resident, to become an attending, and that's it. You're done. Uh, but at some point I, I looked around, I, I, was treating people with cancer who, you know, did not necessarily have a lot of time left and thinking, how, how, how am I living my life the way I want to live my life? Am I living my life where I want to live my life? And the answer was, I wanted to be in Israel. And so even though that's scary and that's hard, we took the steps that we needed to, to come here. Um, I wanted to spend more time with my children. When I, when we left Boston, I had had five children and was pregnant with number six. Uh, that didn't seem to impact my career, but I wanted more time. And so that was also an important decision for me. We had subsequently had three more in Israel. I think it's really important to think about, to constantly ask, Am I, am I doing what, am I doing what I want to be doing? Am I doing something that I th- believe is meaningful? Uh, and, and if the answer is no, to have the courage to figure out what you can do to, to make that happen. Yeah, that's, it, it is. It takes a lot of courage, especially when people are on a path for a very long time and they've put in a lot of, uh, a lot of effort and money. Uh, and, uh, sometimes we feel like, oh, we're going to waste our, we've wasted our time or, um, we actually spoke about this a little bit on the episode with uh, with Shana Goldberg, but I think that's a really a really wonderful piece of advice, and I I thank you. I thank you for myself also. Okay, unfortunately, we're going to have to bring the conversation to a close. Um, I wanted to ask you a few uh, lightning round questions. Are you you up for that? You up for the challenge? Go for it. Sounds like it. You have you have enough courage. Okay, what books or book is currently on your nightstand? I have a lot of notes on my nightstand. <laughs> a lot of notes uh, from a, a lot of shurim. Uh, right now, since COVID, there really hasn't been a book. But when there was a book on the nightstand, it was in Hebrew, because I have only been reading in Hebrew for the last few years to try to improve my vocabulary. The news is in Hebrew. Uh, 
the the books are in Hebrew. Great. You were reading you were reading a novel, or was that was what was there? There there were definitely novels. There were definitely novels. Novels. I hear. Uh, if you could sit down with anyone uh, for coffee or tea or whatever it is you like to drink or water, uh, someone who's uh, alive who's not with us anymore, uh, who would it be? So first of all, it would be my parents because I haven't seen them in over a year. They're still they're in Boston. Uh, but I'd also love to sit with my father-in-law and, um, and just chat, tell him about what I've been learning, the things I've been researching, hear his thoughts, ask him, um, uh, get his advice. And of course, share, share my triumphs and my frustrations because I, I feel like I'm living in the world that he lived in a little bit, uh, interacting with, you know, in living in a world of halacha. Um, so yes, I would love to have a cup of coffee with him. What's your favorite tefillah? I'd have to say Kabbalat Shabbat. Uh, in our home, my husband commutes back, was commuting back pre-COVID uh, to Boston Saturday night, uh, landing on Fridays, sometimes staying for the following week and then going back the following Saturday night. But not so infrequently landing on Friday at four o'clock and flying out Saturday night and never missed a Shabbos until COVID when that was no longer possible. And so uh, Kabbalat Shabbat is just, uh, it's, it, it's a, for me, it's a joyous tefillah. It's especially joyous because our family comes together on Shabbat. Wow. Beautiful. Um. What exotic location would you like to visit? So Baruch Hashem, we have visited many exotic locations because hmm. one of the upside of having a husband who commutes is a lot of frequent flyer miles. Uh, yeah. And we uh, very much enjoy seeing uh, Jewish communities in uh, places you would never expect to have Jewish communities. But I think if we had to pick an exotic location, I don't, I, to me, this is exotic. It would be the southern island of New Zealand. Before COVID, our, we went with the entire family, uh, in-law children as well, to Australia, New Zealand, Singapore. But my husband was saying Kaddish. And so our days in New Zealand were limited to, uh, we were limited to five days, which was the days that they had Minyanim for Kaddish. And we were limited to the Northern Island because uh, there were no guarantees on the Southern Island. And yes, so I would love to go to the Southern Island now that we can, now that we have. I'm happy we had this conversation. So I know that there's a Northern and Southern Island of New Zealand. Uh, that shows you my, my be cute in, in exotic locations. Um, any hidden talents? Played violin. Oh, Wow. Do you still play? Uh, not so much anymore. But when I did, uh, it was my teacher was one of the first violinists in the Boston Symphony Orchestra. Cool. So. Very, very cool. What I'm just curious, what age did you start? Because my daughter wants to take it. What, what age did you start? Well, I started with the Suzuki method and uh, I started late for that. Probably, I think probably seven, seven or eight. Mm. But Suzuki, people... People start at the age of three, even. Wow. Okay, she's turning nine this summer. No pressure. She's, coming, she's turning no nine pressure. this summer. I'm going to have to get on this. Uh, okay. No pressure. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I'm joking. I do not do that. 
I'm um, just curious to close our conversation, which has been so, um, so interesting and, and, and moving in all of its own ways. Something that you're grateful for right now in your, in the current moment of your life. I am so grateful that I am vaccinated, that my, that most of my children are vaccinated, that my parents and siblings are vaccinated, that such a large percentage of Israel is vaccinated. Uh, but most importantly, I'm grateful that my husband's vaccinated. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. About a year ago now, um, he was working in the emergency room in Boston, not knowing if he would have personal protective equipment to take care of patients. There have been times in the last year when he'll call me up and tell me, Sharon, I saw 30 patients today and all 28 of them had COVID. Why, why? The, the, fear of, the fear of infection was tremendous. The, uh, the mental stress of, um, of treating patients through this was tremendous. And Baruch Hashem, he is vaccinated uh, and, and can continue to do what he does uh, without having to worry that that's going to risk his life. Yeah, you know, physicians were, I mean, yeah, they were so, so on the front lines. Uh, and I, you know, also have a lot of peers who are physicians and that was very, very, uh, it was definitely very scary. So thank God. I'm really, I'm happy for, for you all as well. I really want to thank you for this conversation. I really, really enjoyed getting to meet you, getting to see, uh, uh, other Matan, uh, Matan teachers and students, uh, from, uh, from the Renana branch it was also, um, it's also really great. And, and thank you so much. This was, I think also for, there are so many women out there, uh, and our listeners who are, in the medical world, uh, in the halacha world, uh, and, and also want to bridge those two. And I'm sure that this will, uh, this conversation will serve as a, as a guiding light for them. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. It's Sharon again. I just wanted to let everyone know that BRCA testing is now part of the Basket of Health Services. Uh, and all Ashkenazi women are entitled to BRCA testing, and so you can simply just contact your uh, family doctor and ask to arrange for testing. We're very fortunate uh, that, this, that this is available to all of us. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Thank you to the entire Matan team for their input. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Matan's website and write us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.